Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says President Biden is violating his constitutional duty on border security. Meanwhile, Senator Jim Risch has a new bill to help with the crisis. Lawmakers are calling on officials to ramp up audits on the spending for the Department of Agriculture. Officials argue they don't have the necessary funding. President Biden reveals his 2024 budget proposal. Hear what senators from both sides of the aisle have to say about it. A whole new generation addicted to nicotine. That's what some school officials are warning about. This as vaping products are marketed to children. We hear analysis on how this is happening and how serious it is. We start with some breaking news today. The House has passed the COVID Origins Act with no dissenting votes. The final tally was 419 to zero. 16 House members didn't vote. The bill would require the Director of National Intelligence to declassify as much intelligence as possible on the origins of coronavirus, as well as any links between the virus and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The Senate passed the bill last week, also by a unanimous vote, and now heads to President Biden's desk for his signature. It's publicly unknown whether the president will enact it. The administration has yet to state a position on the measure. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is calling out President Joe Biden's so-called catch-and-release policy for illegal immigrants. He says it violates his constitutional duty. The policy has been struck down by a federal judge. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Governor Abbott is referring to the Biden administration's alternative to detention program. Authorities have released over one million illegal immigrants into the U.S. under the policy. U.S. District Judge T. Kent Weatherell ruled that releasing illegal immigrants into the United States rather than holding them until their cases are resolved violates federal law and described the policy as being, quote, akin to posting a flashing, come in, we're open sign. The administration has said it lacks the resources and capacity to process the recent surge of migrants. It said detention center overcrowding amounts to a humanitarian crisis. Meanwhile, Senator Jim Risch and fellow GOP senators introduced a bill on March 9th that includes resuming construction of the border wall. I cringe every time I hear somebody from the administration say, oh, well, the border's secure. The aim is to secure the nation's southern border and stop the rising flow of illegal immigrants. Risch says patrol agents have encountered nearly 5 million illegal immigrants at the southern border since President Biden took office. Critics of the Biden administration's border policy point out that not just people are crossing, lethal fentanyl is crossing as well. I met with Texas families who have been ripped apart by fentanyl. Governor Abbott says fentanyl poisoning has now become the leading killer of Americans between 18 and 45. Joining Risch as co-sponsor of the Solving the Border Crisis Act is his fellow senator from Idaho, Mike Crapo. Other co-sponsors include Senators Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, Tom Tillis and Ted Budd of North Carolina, and Arkansas's John Boozman. The bill also seeks to renew Title 42. In related news, Mexican authorities met on Thursday with Homeland Security Advisor Elizabeth Sherwood Randall to discuss issues like fentanyl and arms trafficking. The Mexican Foreign Affairs Minister reacted. We insisted on the issue of arms trafficking, which is very important to Mexico, as you know. We requested more severe actions in the short term, and I'd say the results are positive. Mexican President López Obrador posted photographs of the meeting on his Twitter account. 
He says Biden's decision to respect Mexico's sovereignty was also discussed. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle say the Department of Agriculture needs more oversight. However, officials responsible for the oversight argue they need more funding to do so. Republican and Democrat lawmakers say spending for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, needs more oversight. They questioned Officer of Inspector General or OIG officials at a hearing on Thursday. This comes after the OIG issued this report on USDA spending for the second half of 2022. They found more than $305 million in questioned costs or funds to be put to better use, and 275 arrests made for criminal use of funding. The inspector general for the USDA said the findings show that their office needs more funding. She argues that's because the USDA's funding keeps increasing while the OIG's budget stays the same. With funding streams like these comes the need for oversight to ensure that programs are serving those for whom the assistance is intended. The USDA budget topped out at $218 billion for mandatory and discretionary spending in 2022, and almost $200 billion are on the table for consideration in 2023. A statement by the USDA says that President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, provided an additional $19.5 billion over five years for climate-smart agriculture. However, a GOP representative pointed out that the IRA has no money built in for oversight from the OIG. That's not the way we should shepherd taxpayer dollars. On top of the funding, lawmakers allege some of it doesn't reach the areas where it's needed. A California Democrat says the money isn't reaching farmers in her district who need it to fight insects damaging their crops. I'm hearing uh, from a lot of farmers that the resources just aren't there at the local level. So a Republican from Washington State doubled down on the problems farmers face with insects. In my area in central Washington State, uh, my neighbors' growers are uh, you know, huge challenges with pests, with diseases. Um, I can tell you, I'm a farmer myself. It's a constant battle. OIG officials say it's challenging to provide effective oversight due to the rapid growth of USDA funding. The House voted to block a Biden administration rule known as Waters of the United States, or WOTUS. Nine Democrats joined Republicans in approving the bill. It would overturn an EPA rule that established a definition of the navigable waters of the United States to restore protections put in place by the Clean Waters Act. Republicans argue the rule is too restrictive and could have negative consequences. If the bill passes the Senate, President Biden will likely veto it. The cybersecurity breach of congressional members' health insurance records turns out to be far more extensive than previously thought. The sergeant-at-arms alerted Senate staff to the extent of the D.C. health link breach on Thursday. The compromised data is said to include sensitive information like social security numbers and home addresses. House and Senate staff members have been encouraged to freeze their family credit cards to guard against fraud and identity theft. DC HealthLink says it has started a comprehensive investigation of the incident and is working with law enforcement. One online forum claims that the hack includes data from 170,000 people, but that has not been verified yet. The FBI is one of the lead agencies trying to find out how all the personal health data ended up on the dark web. President Biden unveiled his 2024 budget plan yesterday. He vowed to raise taxes on the wealthy, increase spending, and reduce the federal deficit. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the president's proposal. When we do these projects, we're going to buy Americans. The third budget of Biden's presidency would increase federal spending to $6.8 trillion for the fiscal year of 2024. 
That's up from $6.2 trillion spent in fiscal year 2023. He's requesting an $842 billion budget for the Department of Defense, $26 billion more than last year's enacted budget. We're going to export product and bring jobs home. The president says his plan covers all sorts of investments in manufacturing, education, and health care. Where is it written that America can't lead the world again in manufacturing? Never underestimate what America can do. We can do anything we set our minds to do. Biden says the funding will also be used to hire more police officers across the country and put more money towards their training and support. I don't want to defund them. They need more help. To pay for it all, he's proposing around $5 trillion in tax increases on high-income earners and corporations over the next 10 years. The plan includes a 25% minimum tax on Americans with over $100 million. This consists of all their income, including appreciated assets. Biden suggests increasing the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%, quadrupling the stock buyback tax from 1% to 4%, and roll back some corporate tax breaks enacted in 2017. He also wants to raise taxes for anyone earning more than $400,000 a year. Administration officials believe that increasing taxes on the wealthy can help fund the president's spending priorities. They project it would slash the federal deficit by nearly $3 trillion over the next decade. But the current budget presentation would raise next year's deficit to $1.8 trillion. Total U.S. debt would rise to nearly 110% of annual GDP in 2033 a figure that rivals the peaks during the country's mobilization for World War II. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Biden administration has proposed investing in new ways to outcompete China and strengthen alliances in the Indo-Pacific region. On March 9th, President Biden unveiled his third budget proposal. In it, he outlines his strategy for dealing with global challenges, including those posed by China. The president warned of unprecedented and extraordinary times ahead, and he asked for both discretionary and mandatory resources to address danger from China. The mandatory proposal would boost the U.S. role in the Indo-Pacific and advance U.S. investment in the region. It also asks to boost funding for the U.S. military's presence there. The funds will also be used to strengthen the capacity and capabilities of U.S. allies in the region. President Biden's budget stands little to no chance of passing the Republican-led House. Regardless, Biden says he's ready to sit down with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and go through it line by line. He's hoping for some common ground and wants to find out what they can agree on. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has reactions from senators on the proposal. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says in regards to Biden's budget, the ball is in the GOP's court. Where is your plan? Whether it's on putting together a budget or avoiding default, we have no plan from Speaker McCarthy. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says the president was slow to present his proposal. We'll analyze his budget and then we'll get to work on our budget. But unfortunately, the president being so far delayed delays us in this process as well. A joint statement from McCarthy and other GOP leaders calls Biden's budget plan reckless. They say it doubles down on the same far-left spending policies that led to record inflation and the current debt crisis. Democrats are lauding the plan. And we're going to say to the folks at the very top, hey, you can contribute a little bit more to something that is beneficial to everyone. We need to invest in national defense. We need to cut the deficit as he is doing and the debt and make sure that we fulfill all of our obligations to invest in our industrial base. 
Republican Senator Josh Hawley was asked if Biden's budget plan was dead on arrival. 100 percent, absolutely. Senator John Kennedy says the president shouldn't take it personally if it's shot down. Most presidential budgets are DOA in the, in the Senate. We like to do our own work. Kennedy says any president's budget in modern times has become more of a messaging bill than anything else. He is saying to his base, look, um, you know what I believe in? Uh, I believe in bigger government, higher taxes, more spending, more regulation, more debt. When President Biden was asked if he should even bother introducing the new budget amid Republican opposition, he had this to say. Watch me. Jeremy Sandberg. NTD News. West Virginia is asking the Supreme Court to back a state law about transgender sports. The law bans male student athletes who identify as female from playing on girls' school sports teams. Several other states have passed similar legislation, but this is the first case that could go to the Supreme Court. West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey plans to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to protect the 2021 West Virginia law known as the Save Women's Sports Act. A pending lawsuit has put the state law on hold. Morrissey said, quote, when biological males win in a women's event, as has happened time and again, female athletes lose their opportunity to shine. A female former soccer player at West Virginia State University is also preparing to ask the Supreme Court to back the law. She says it's, quote, a common sense law that protects equal opportunity, fairness and safety for women. The ACLU is arguing in its lawsuit that the West Virginia statute violates the rights of a middle school student. Turning now to what some have called the scourge of vaping that is gripping the nation's youth. Dragonthal, Strawn Anner's Ice, these are some of the flavors out of the market appealing to kids. Montana school officials are now warning a new generation is becoming addicted to nicotine. Our next guest weighs in on the impact communities are facing due to a rise in a certain type of vaping product and what is sometimes added to it. Joining us to discuss is Javier Palomares, founder and CEO of the Hispanic Business Council. It's great to have you on the show today, Javier. Kevin, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, these are illicit disposable vapes, and it's causing a lot of concern. Can you tell us how this is impacting the Hispanic community? Well, as you pointed out, Kevin, there's a Trump policy that's on the books today that banned certain vaping products to be sold in the United States, but it inadvertently created a loophole that allowed for disposable vapes to be sold into our market. I found out recently that business is booming. The sale of these disposable vapes is up more than 2,000% over the last couple of years. And I've traveled to a couple of dispensaries and convenience stores and actually seen these products and purchased a couple. And um, Frankly, Kevin, it's appalling. Uh, it is explicit, uh, explicitly targeting our children. Um, these manufacturers are targeting our children with products that look and taste like candy. Product names like bubblegum and watermelon, watermelon Skittles, cake pop, gummy bear, rainbow candy, and the list goes on. It was appalling. And um, I might add, that none of these um, disposable uh, flavored vape products are FDA authorized. So Javier, can you tell us how House Bill 901 is going to close this loophole that allowed the sale of these disposable vaping products? Great question. I want to give a shout out to Congresswoman Sheila uh, Sherfilis McCormick, who is trying to pass House Bill 901. 
I'm calling on every member, certainly of the Hispanic Caucus, to step up uh, and step in, as Congresswoman McCormick has done, to protect our children. Uh, it, it is critical that that loophole be closed. This is easy. This can be done. Uh, it simply calls for our members of Congress to step up and protect our children. Uh, Congressman McCormick herself is a mother and a former uh, health care executive, so she knows what she's talking about. I want to commend her for her courage in stepping in here and stepping up on behalf of our children. Closing loopholes to protect the youth, that's very important. Javier, can you tell us more about how illicit vaping products are now being used in conjunction with fentanyl? Yeah, this is the scariest part of everything here, Kevin. I've found, and we have found, that uh, oftentimes these vaping products are laced with drugs to include fentanyl. So you can imagine the risk that our children uh, are at right now. I mean, think about it. Our kids right now have to uh, deal with, with a host of challenges, including you know mass shootings in their schools, online bullying and harassment, uh, a racial and cultural divide unlike what we've ever seen before, and, and a surge in teen, in teen uh, suicide rates. We should be able to block what is happening now with these favored vaping products and make sure that we try to protect our children as best we can. These vape retailers have taken a lot of heat, but some of them say not to blame them for the problem, claiming they're simply helping adults quit smoking. What's the reaction to this? You know, I, I understand that perspective. Um, and I also have to say that as an organization that advocates on behalf of business, uh, obviously we believe in commerce. We support commerce, but commerce with a conscience. Whatever the margins are on these products, and they're very good margins, I'm imploring our Hispanic business owners, bodega owners, con convenience store owners, to step away from these, these products, take them off the shelves. It's not worth the lives of our children. It's not worth putting our children at risk. Some important decisions to make. Javier Palomares, founder and CEO of the Hispanic Business Council, thank you so much for your update. As always, Kevin, thanks for giving small business a voice. Coming up, Manhattan's top prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, could soon be charging former President Trump. Find out the details and more just after this break. In New York City, police are investigating after a group of masked men broke into a restaurant and smashed property. NYPD is now releasing footage and asking for help. On Saturday, March 4th, a group of roughly 20 men stormed into a restaurant in Queens, New York, and broke tables, chairs, and dishes. They covered their faces with masks and hoodies. The restaurant said the damaged property value is around $20,000. They came in and then went out in less than a minute. We had no idea what was happening. We called the police and they came and took the surveillance footage. The NYPD released the following surveillance footage and asked for tips identifying the suspects. Police are now encouraging customers to take off their masks when entering businesses. The trained police officers that are going to be coming to the business location and they're going to conduct an assessment of their business and their vulnerabilities. At the end of this, they're going to get a detailed report. The restaurant is trying to move on from the incident, but the manager said they fear the group might return. The head of the Flushing Business Improvement District advised businesses to call the police immediately 
if they run into a similar situation. Let the police know, let the mayor know, that the community isn't as safe as before. They will send more officers, more people to protect our community. The NYPD is asking anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-577-TIPS. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg may soon be pressing charges against former President Donald Trump. The case centers on the former president's alleged involvement in providing hush money to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Bragg, a Democrat, offered Trump the opportunity to testify to a grand jury next week. It is unclear what the exact charges would be. Daniels claims she received $130,000 from former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen. This was before the 2016 presidential election. Daniel said the money was intended to cover an alleged 2006 affair between her and Trump. Trump denied all allegations made by Daniels. The former president called the case a political witch hunt on social media. He says it is an attempt to take down the leading candidate in the Republican Party. New York's Attorney General sues KuCoin for failing to register with the state before letting investors buy and sell cryptocurrencies on its platform. It's part of the effort to rein in what Attorney General Letitia James calls shadowy cryptocurrency companies. KuCoin is the fourth largest cryptocurrency platform. James said it violated a powerful state securities law and wrongfully called itself an exchange. She's seeking a permanent injunction to stop KuCoin from operating in New York until it complies with the law. Launched in September 2017, KuCoin describes itself on its website as the People's Exchange, with more than 27 million users across 207 countries and regions. Last month, James also sued the Coinex cryptocurrency platform for failing to register with the state, and in January, 10 states, including New York, took action against cryptocurrency company Nexo Inc., which they also accused of operating illegally. KuCoin is headquartered in Seychelles. James said a company based in the Seychelles and a company based in Singapore own the platform. Former Goldman Sachs banker Roger Ng is sentenced to 10 years in prison. He was convicted of helping loot billions of dollars from a Malaysian fund. It's part of a scandal that has rocked Malaysian politics in recent years and one of the biggest scandals in Wall Street history. Ng is Goldman's former head of investment banking in Malaysia. A jury in federal court last April found him guilty of helping his former boss embezzle money from the fund, launder the proceeds, and bribe government officials. The judge said Ng and his co-defendants effectively stole money meant for infrastructure and economic development projects to aid the Malaysian people. Ng requested that he be given no prison time and be allowed to return to Malaysia. He spent six months in a Malaysian prison before waiving his right to contest extradition to the United States in 2018. Ng had pleaded not guilty and argued that millions in kickback payments were actually a return on an investment his wife made. Alec Murdoch is appealing his murder conviction for killing his wife and son. One of Murdoch's attorneys tweeted about the appeal on Thursday saying, quote, This is the next step in the legal process to fight for Alec's constitutional right to a fair trial, unquote. Last week, a South Carolina judge sentenced Murdoch to life in prison for the shooting deaths of his wife Maggie and son Paul. Prosecutors argued Murdoch killed them to distract and delay investigations into his alleged financial crimes. Visa, MasterCard, and Discover announced they will pause a plan to implement a new merchant category code for the nation's gun retailers. It comes after political pressure from Republican officials. 
Some financial companies explored the possibility of tracking gun sales through their payment systems in the wake of mass shootings. Advocates argue this would help track suspicious transactions of firearms and ammunition and could help flag potential mass shooters and gun traffickers. Previously, gun store sales were classified under a general merchandise or sporting goods category. Two dozen Republican attorneys general warned the credit card companies they should not go ahead with their plans. The GOP officials said adopting a new sales code for gun stores would harm the constitutional rights of gun owners and potentially violate consumer protection and antitrust laws. Under pressure, the companies have backed down. Two companies are recalling their eyedrop products over concerns they aren't sterile. Pharmedica USA is recalling two lots of its purely soothing 15% MSM drops because the product may be contaminated. That could cause vision problems and potential injury. The company says so far it has not received any reports of anyone harmed. And Apotex is recalling six lots of its bromonidine tartrate ophthalmic solution because of cracks in some bottle caps. That also can lead to contamination. Both companies say customers who have these eye drops should stop using them immediately. Attention Parents, a popular brand of car seat, is being recalled due to safety concerns for children. Doral Juvenile Group is recalling more than 59,000 Safety First and Maxi Cozy car seats. The company says the anchors used to secure the base may fail, which would allow the seat to detach from the car. Dorsal says it will mail a replacement to owners for free. They're mailing letters to people who may own the car seats. People can also visit Doral's website to look at the exact models recalled. And one last recall, more than 3.2 million calico critter toys are being recalled after two children have died. The toys were sold in a set with baby bottle and pacifier accessories. The Consumer Product Safety Commission said they pose a serious choking hazard for small children. Epoch Everlasting Play out of New Jersey imported the toys from China. The company says it's aware of three incidents involving the pacifier accessory, including two deaths. A two-year-old child in New Mexico died in 2018, and a nine-month-old child in Japan died in 2015. The Calico Critter toys were sold at Walmart, Meyer, and on Amazon between January 2000 and December 2021. And still to come, a Chinese biotech firm that was awarded a COVID testing contract in the UK is accused of several hack attacks on the, D- on the NHS Genetic Data Center. And a paper on China's infant organ transplant is stirring up controversy over both the speed of the surgeries and the sources of the donors. We'll have the details soon when we return. In the UK, a Chinese biotech firm that was awarded a government COVID contract is accused of several hack attacks on the NHS Genetic Data Center. Science Minister George Freeman revealed in the Commons that Genomics England suffered multiple hack attempts every week from BGI Group in 2014. He called it a wake-up call. A BGI Group subsidiary won an 11 million pound or about 13 million dollar COVID testing contract in 2021. The Chinese firm has also worked with and shared data with UK universities. 
Freeman said BGI remains a danger point. However, a few hours after the debate, a government spokesperson said there was no evidence for the claims, and a BGI spokesperson said the group has never been and will never be involved in hack attacks against anyone. Lawmakers have previously written to the government urging it to cease all work with the company over security concerns. Staying in the UK, a member of parliament was instructed by the government to tone down claims in his memoir that the COVID-19 pandemic leaked from a lab in China. That's from leaked correspondence obtained by The Telegraph. Matt Hancock wanted to describe the official Chinese version of events as cagey and that they should be treated with considerable skepticism. He originally wrote, it was just too much of a coincidence that the pandemic started in Wuhan, where the Institute of Virology is based. In response, the cabinet office wrote that such comments would cause problems if released. It advised the former health secretary that he must make it clearer that it was not the government's views. The changes to the book were made after Hancock submitted the manuscript to the cabinet office for review last year, a procedure all former ministers are obliged to follow. The disclosure comes after the head of the FBI last week said COVID most likely leaked from the lab. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers are mulling over a bill against forced organ harvesting. Yet in China, hospitals are trumpeting the scholarship gained from those practices, and now they're setting their eyes on newborns. Here's a closer look. A paper posted to the American Journal of Transplantation is sparking concerns. It builds on two kidney transplants from newborn babies at a Shanghai hospital, both performed at inconceivable speeds. In one case, the parents allegedly consented to the donation one day after the child's birth. In another case, it was after the baby's heart failed on the third day after birth. Kidneys remain viable for transplant for less than 36 hours outside the body. That means the hospital completed surgeries within five days after the children's births, including all the screening tests required. As a comparison, normally before a transplant, it takes one to 14 weeks to test the donor-recipient match. You know, the length of time it takes to complete these steps is, is, depends on a variety of factors including the availability of the organ, but clearly the complexity of the testing and the urgency of the situation is important. So in general, the process of matching a neonatal kidney for transplant can take several weeks to several months. Even if rapid transplants like these do occur, they should be a rarity. Yet to date, the Shanghai Hospital has performed 22 such operations on newborns. Officials called the cases voluntary donations, touting them as technological advances. But the unusual figures beg the question, are the claimed donor sources reliable? These anomalies evoke reminders of an infamous crime tied to the Chinese communist regime, the forced organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners and other prisoners of conscience. Since the early 2000s, evidence has mounted that organs of detainees have been removed for profit while the unconsenting donors were still alive. In 2018, a London International Tribunal ruled that the situation has been going on for years in China on a significant scale. The CCP's live organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners has been exposed for years with abundant evidence. But those hospitals and doctors involved are still allowed to give speeches and publish articles. They are exchanging experiences of potential killings. Humanity should not accept this. It's inexcusable. 
Falun Gong is a spiritual practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The CCP has been operating a persecution campaign against its followers since 1999. To date, millions of people are believed to have been jailed, tortured, or killed for refusing to give up their faith. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, Germany blocks an EU ban on new gas cars. We'll hear from a think tank director who welcomes the move. Latvia is seizing cars from drunk drivers this year, but what to do with the vehicles? The Baltic nation decides to send them to Ukraine. More shortly here on NTD News Today. An update on the violent attack yesterday in the northern German city of Hamburg. A gunman killed seven people before turning the gun on himself. Among the dead was an unborn child. Officials say the motive for the attack remains unknown. The tragedy took place in a Jehovah's Witness worship hall. The shooter was a 35-year-old German national, used to be a member of the Jehovah's Witness community. On his website, the suspect described himself as a consultant with, quote, a long-lasting impact. He used a pistol legally owned since December. Around 50 people were on site when the shooting broke out. When police arrived, the suspect ran to an upper floor and shot himself. Hamburg's interior minister called the crime one of the most serious in the city's recent history. At Bath in the UK, the city council has new rules for drivers. One of their aims is to reduce car use in order to meet net zero climate goals by 2030. But local businesses say they are losing customers and worry their employees won't be able to make it to work. More on this from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. I'm here in Bath where the local council is implementing low traffic neighbourhoods. The LTNs seek to restrict car travel down certain roads and in certain areas in order to reduce pollution. But they're having a number of negative consequences. Bath and North East Somerset Council declared a climate emergency in March 2019 and an ecological emergency in July of the same year. They pledged to make the city and region carbon neutral by 2030. Alongside LTNs, they are creating residence parking zones, areas where only local residents can park. Anyone else will face parking fines. Just outside central Bath is a high street on Moorland Road, where a parking zone is expected to be in place by the summer. A sales assistant at a hardware shop said the scheme has already been implemented on Chelsea Road. Uh, So not so much uh, around Moreland Road, but they have over Chelsea Road. Uh, Mm. I I work in another hardware shop over there. And it's impacted because, yeah, quite a lot of customers don't really want to come by as much because of fear of getting parking tickets and XYZ, really. The pharmacy is worried their employees won't be able to get to work. Yeah, we don't know how we'll manage to do it. Um, The only alternative um, for anybody commuting from outside of Bath, which is, in our case, that's everyone apart from two of our employees, um, will have to come by train. But then, of course, the trains are often on strike at the moment. So we will have whole days where we can't open open the business, I would think, because we just can't simply... We simply can't get here. Another local said he understands the trouble of finding places to park. I've worked with enough people who are drivers and have to commute in to know the troubles they go through, going trying to find parking just to get to work. Enough times when I've been working in commercial kitchens, sous chef's been half an hour late because he couldn't find a way to park. And the council has identified 15 areas for low traffic neighbourhoods. Campaigners from the Free Bath Streets movement told the Epoch Times, "No one has asked us if we want to change our entire way of living." 
and that these schemes are being passed without proper consultation. In one area, 70% of residents opposed resident parking zones, yet they were still introduced by the council. Meanwhile, cycling groups and environmentalists have welcomed the measures. I reached out to the Lib Dem MP for Bath, Vera Hobhouse, for comment. Her press officer said she will not be commenting. Local Bath councillors I reached out to did not respond in time for broadcast. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, Bath. Turning to Germany, Chancellor Olaf Scholz has blocked the European Union ban on the new sale of fossil fuel cars by 2035. Meanwhile, the sale of electric and hybrid vehicles in Germany is dropping. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story. It was an unprecedented turnaround. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has said he could not support an EU rule banning fossil fuel cars. The European Parliament, the Commission and EU member states last year agreed to a law requiring all new cars sold in the EU from 2035 to have zero CO2 emissions, effectively making it impossible to sell combustion engine cars from that date. But now Germany wants assurances from the bloc's executive that there would be an exemption for synthetic fuels providing a potential lifeline to petrol and diesel cars. It comes after one coalition partner in the German government vetoed the all-out ban. Economic think tank director Nicolas Lecaussin says the move goes in the right direction. We have now postponed the end of combustion engines by 2035, so practically by tomorrow. This is very good news, especially as the world is not prepared for this and the European countries are not prepared for this. It would be madness to do this. It's something that's imposed by European or national regulations. And this is never a good thing. The change has to come from the industry, not from the government. Official figures show electric car sales in Germany dropped by over 13% in January, compared to 2022. The fall is attributed to the end-of-state subsidies for manufacturers and consumers. The German Car Industry Association predicts electric car sales will drop by 30% this year. According to a group of German economists, the car industry is the lifeblood of the German economy, as it employs 800,000 workers and another 1.8 million jobs are indirectly tied to it. And those numbers have remained stable for more than 30 years. But the switch from fossil fuel to electric engines would be a major shift for the industry. Lecaussin says the market should foster new innovations, not EU policies. We must really try to get out of this environmentalist tyranny, which imposes rules on us that, at the moment, do not manage to respond to our needs, far from it. So we really have to wait and see how innovation evolves. I saw this morning in the Wall Street Journal that American researchers have discovered a new battery system that could be much more resistant, much more durable than the current batteries for cars and others. Yes, it's better to wait. The German decision gives more weight to other countries' disapproval of the EU law. Italy's Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni's has already come out strongly against it. One minister called the forced switch to electric suicide and a gift to Chinese industry, which is already ahead in the race for electric battery production. David Vives, NTD News. 
President Joe Biden hopes to ease tensions about a technical but contentious dispute. It involves tax credits for electric vehicles. And the president is set to meet with the European Commission president at the White House today to discuss it. Here's what officials say the issue is. Tax credits are a provision of Biden's landmark Inflation Reduction Act. For electric vehicle owners to get one, a percentage of the battery must come from places with a free trade agreement. And the EU is not on that list. Officials say Biden and the European Commission president will announce negotiations that would allow Europe to benefit from the law. Latvia is donating cars to the Ukrainian military and hospitals. The vehicles were all seized from heavily drunk drivers under a new law in the Baltic nation this year. These impounded cars are destined for Ukraine. Over the last two months, 200 cars were taken from drunk drivers in the nation of 1.9 million people. It actually is very scary when I realized this uh, amount of cars driving around with drunk drivers. So I said that it's like we have actually so many kamikaze drones, but luckily not exploding. Rainus Poznak's NGO Twitter convoy is tasked with sending the cars to Ukraine. The government has promised to send him two dozen confiscated cars weekly. The volume will test the limits of his largely volunteer operation. They just can, can, can't sell them uh, as, as many as people are, are drinking. <laughs> so that's why came the idea, so okay, maybe send them to Ukraine. Twitter convoy has already sent about 1,200 vehicles. The group began fundraising just days after Russia's invasion. It raised more than $2 million for vehicle purchases, renovations, and logistics in 2022. Latvia's finance minister said the government was inspired by the success of the NGO. We said, why you can take those cars? And he says, oh, that's very good. And right now is uh, tax authority cooperated with Twitter convoys, and they're choosing the right proper cars. And first delivery already happened. I'm very happy about it. Police encountered 4,300 drunk drivers last year. Authorities say they were involved in almost 1,000 accidents. I think that's a very good idea. Because you shouldn't be driving and drinking at the same time. It's irresponsible and it, uh, it uh, makes a lot of other people's lives in danger. So I think that's a very bad idea. But uh, the idea of sending those cars to Ukraine, it's very, it's very good. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a former NATO general and Czech chief begins his term as president of the Czech Republic. Find out where he wants to take the country. Dog lovers in Cuba are grappling with the care of a long-haired native dog breed. The island nation is facing a shortage of various supplies. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. The Czech Republic has a new president. Peter Pavel began his five-year term yesterday. He pledged to keep helping Ukraine and support potentially painful economic policies to reduce inflation. The former army chief and high-level NATO official won election in January. His platform included firmly anchoring the country in the European Union and NATO, a turn from his predecessor who tried to boost relations with Russia and China. He has fully supported continued aid for Ukraine in its defense against Russia's invasion. 
He said Ukraine is an example that smaller countries can be successful, especially if they cooperate with others. Czech presidents do not have many day-to-day duties, but they pick prime ministers and central bank heads, have a say in foreign policy, and can push the government on policies. The alleged gang rape of an 11-year-old girl in a shopping center in Badalona, northeastern Spain, has sparked outrage throughout the country. The attack reportedly committed by six other minors. Five of the six presumed aggressors have been identified, according to Catalan regional broadcaster TV3. Catalan police are investigating the case. That's after the girl's family filed a complaint in December for sexual assault. Two of the five identified have been detained. The other three have not been charged because they are under 14 years of age. The victim's sister spoke to the Planta Baixa program. She explained what had allegedly happened to her sister, saying she said that about six kids approached and threatened her with a pocket knife, took her to the toilets, and basically did whatever they wanted with her. The alleged rape took place in November. A sizable earthquake hit northeast Colombia early this morning. Residents in the capital, Bogota, evacuated their homes after the tremor. According to the United States Geological Survey, the quake registered magnitude 5.4. The epicenter was located in Santander at a depth of nearly 100 miles. For its part, the Colombian Geological Service recorded the tremor with a magnitude of 5.9 in the municipality of Los Santos and a depth of a few miles less. The shaking could be felt in various parts of the country, including some of the most populous cities. Havanese are one of the most attractive dog breeds in Cuba, but caring for these cuties is proving a challenge now as Cubans struggle with a deepening food crisis. With its rich, long, wavy coat, the Bichon Havanese appeals to the hearts of many in Cuba. The native breed has been crowned the national dog of this Caribbean island nation. Havanese are likable, pleasant, barking lap dogs. They're always following their owners. If at home you have a Havanese and a Doberman, the one letting you know someone has arrived is the Havanese. He's the one barking and makes the noise that characterizes us Cubans. Mylin Amador has been keeping these animals in the capital, Havana, for more than 30 years. It is a very happy and playful breed. I've had a Havanese dog since I was 10 years old. It was a gift from my father. Since then, I haven't had a breed that is not Havanese. But now cleaning and feeding them is becoming less affordable in Cuba, as the country grapples with shortages of food, medicine, and other items. I bathe this animal every four days. If I am late by one day, his hair will tangle. He cannot have any fleas or ticks. Nothing can fall into his fur. I have to give him anti-flea medication every month. To keep a Havanese is a great sacrifice, not only in Cuba, but in the world. Shampoo and conditioner are also essential for maintaining the puppy's silky hair but these are all in short supply on the island. In the Netherlands, a rare set of giant tropical plants are blooming, a first for the country. Both stand more than 11 feet tall. The two plants grow in the western city of Leiden. One flowered at the end of February and the other at the beginning of March. Both blossoms lasted for two days. Along with the flowering, they also gave off a foul smell likened to rotten flesh. Botanists say the unpleasant odor will attract flies and bugs for pollination. 
Usually, these insects feed on decayed flesh and will dive into the flowers on the first day of blooming. If it's the first inflorescence, not much will happen. But what will happen the next day is that the plant will stop smelling and it will cover all the insects with a layer of pollen. And because the plant stops smelling, all the insects, they have nothing to, to, no reason to be there anymore, and they will fly away. And if there's somewhere in the vicinity of the plant, usually like a kilometer away, if there is a plant flowering in the female stage, the insects will dive into that inflorescence. They will walk around covered with pollen of the first plant, and then they will pollinate the second plant. The plants are native to Indonesia and stand high up in the jungles of Sumatra. Their unique height above other bushes makes the flowers visible for pollination, but reliance on that forest is also leaving the species under threat. Other similar species are said to have flowered in Leiden in recent years. And still to come, the 95th Academy Awards are coming up this Sunday. Celebrities are making sure their skin and outfits look good for red carpet appearances. And a luxury six-figure swag bag awaits the nominees. What's inside? Details to come on NTD News Today. From facial workouts to laser peels, celebrities will be turning to a range of skincare routines to look their best for the Oscars red carpet. This is a gym for your skin, and it's where celebrities come to squeeze in some extra workouts before big events like the Oscars. We are the home of facial fitness. We are the first ever workout studio for your face. Just like going to the gym to work out your body and transform your body, you can do the same with your face and the 40 plus muscles we have in our face. Her team and others are busy preparing their clients ahead of Hollywood's biggest night. Their regimen involves facial massages and electric muscle stimulation. It's found fans and stars like Kerry Washington and Chelsea Handler. It's reaching places of the face that our hands cannot reach. Celebrities love doing this treatment, especially for red carpet events, because of the immediate result. Over at this New York dermatology office, Dr. Jessica Weiser provides another celebrity favorite. This facial is called the Hollywood laser peel. Though she's more tight-lipped about who her clients are. The procedure involves applying liquid carbon. So when we fire the laser at it, the carbon will come off and it will pull the dead skin cell layer with it. We want her to be able to walk out of the office and go immediately to an event. She could go today. So the goal is never to look like you've had anything done. Celebrity esthetician Bianca Edwards says she'll often see clients twice a week before a big event. She's known for giving boxer Floyd Mayweather $5,000 facials. And Edward says she often has a specific look in mind. You're under a lot of lighting, you're under high definition cameras, right? So you want that makeup to go on flawless. I like for my clients to walk out looking like a glazed donut. This year's Oscars will take place on Sunday. Besides good skin, on-trend accents are key to stealing the spotlight on the red carpet. According to predictions from a social media fashion icon, feathers, sequins, and vibrant colors will take center stage this year. These elements will help actresses stand out at the Sunday event. For men, straight-legged or flared pants are top choices. And the most important tip is finding clothing that suits the energy and style of the celebrity. 
Plus, stars don't have to worry about choosing colors that clash with the red carpet. For this year, the famed carpet appears in a brand new shade. A champagne-colored carpet was unveiled at Wednesday's carpet rollout ceremony. It's a change made by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Staff said the new color was designed to create a day-to-night look. Life-size Oscar statues will also decorate the runway. Next, we look at a six-figure swag bag prepared for Oscar nominees. From a three-night luxury stay on an Italian island, a piece of land in Australia, to Japanese milk bread and silk pillowcases. These are just a few of the 60 items that the company Distinctive Assets is offering to the nominated celebrities. Despite the moniker, everyone wins, these gift bags won't be available for all attendees. Only the 26 nominees in the acting and directing categories will take them home. And they aren't affiliated with either the Oscars nor the Academy. And for the first time in history, organizers have also set up a crisis team to deal with unexpected situations. This comes after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock last year for a joke he made. The Academy banned Smith from the event for 10 years as a result. So far, no details are available about the membership of the crisis team or how it will respond to any potential incidents this year. And once again, Oscar winners will play the game of Beat the Clock, trying to squeeze in all of their thank yous before the music starts playing. The two men in charge of cueing that Please Stop Talking music say they are not trying to be disrespectful. Executive producers and showrunners Risky Krishner and Glenn Weiss told CNN if someone is giving a heartfelt speech, they will not get cut off. But if a winner starts reading what feels like a grocery list, the music will start playing. Weiss says all winners have a countdown clock to keep track of time, and when it hits zero, a message saying, please wrap it up, appears on the teleprompter. A lot of us have trouble getting up on Friday after a long week, so here's an idea to get you moving. How about the thunderous sound of bagpipes? Today is International Bagpipe Day, observed every year on March 10th. It's a celebration of this unique wind instrument and a chance to explore its history. While most people associate bagpipes with kilted Scotsmen, the instrument is played all over the world. The earliest bagpipes lightly date back to ancient Rome and even Egypt. Bagpipes are often played at funerals or somber occasions, but around this time of the year, you can also hear them at parades and Irish pubs for St. Patrick's Day. Get ready to spring forward this weekend. Daylight savings time is Sunday. It starts at 2 a.m., so make sure your clocks move forward by an hour. Experts say planning ahead is the key to feeling less tired with the time change. Try going to bed and waking up 15 minutes earlier than usual in these days leading up to daylight savings. That way your body can slowly adjust to the earlier start. Not everyone follows daylight savings in the U.S. People in Hawaii, most of Arizona, and U.S. territories in the Pacific and Caribbean don't follow the time change. And that's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.